Welcome to the Sense of Soul podcast. We are your hosts, Shannon and Mandy. Grab your coffee, open your mind, heart, and soul. It's time to awaken. Today we have a very magical topic to talk about. We welcome Alfonso Colasuono. He joins us to talk about his book, The Magical and Mystical Unicorn, a unique anthology and esoteric knowledge, myths and legends. And he wrote this with the late Vakasha Brenman. This book explores the history and the importance of the unicorn around the world across many cultures and spiritual traditions. Thanks for being with us, Alfonso. Oh, it's great to be with you too. We're excited to have you. What a fun topic. Absolutely. Mm, I would expect a book on unicorns to be written by like Katy Perry. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of the, the unicorn come back into pop culture. And a lot of it is, you know, kind of fun. And I don't want to be judgmental, but you can even say trivial. But there's mm-hmm. actually a lot of truth to the unicorn story. And yeah, for those who want to delve more into it, uh, the book of the magical mythical unicorn, I think is an amazing introduction uh, to it. I went to a unicorn festival like a few years ago. So it is definitely coming back. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that my co-author, Vakasha Brenman, said. She started this project back in the 1990s. She had a great researcher, a woman by the name of Artist Boyd. I found amazing stuff from the Rosicrucian, Manley Hall's Philosophical Research Society Library, and many other places. But she just couldn't find the right writer, and the project was tabled for a long time. And over the last few years, around 2015, when she started seeing the unicorn come back into the popular imagination, she knew it was time to find a good writer. And I, I don't know if she found one, but she found me. I was really, really psyched to do it because I've been interested in a lot of things about the paranormal, supernatural, the esoteric, and had some good information on a lot of things. But the unicorn was kind of a black hole in terms of not knowing much about it at all. And what I thought I knew was pretty much wrong. So Mm -hmm. it was a real educational opportunity. And to work with someone amazing on a project that seemed really cool, uh, yeah, it was definitely something that I, I really wanted to do once I heard about it. Vakasha, she's done some spiritual documentaries. Yeah, I mean, Vakasha such an inspiration. I mean, the woman is a total badass. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite stories about Vakasha is she had brought a bunch of her friends, Lee Hanks, Femi uh, Gersecker, and, and this other guy, over to uh, Egypt. And she breached, you know, the guards at the pyramids. She was being shot at by Egyptian guards while no she way. was going into the pyramids to investigate. Fearless woman. We talked about, um, you know, if we could get the production money raised to do a series of documentaries together. But unfortunately, she passed away this May. It's a shame. I'm really sorry that she passed. Thank you. She left behind this great book that you and her got to write together. She was researching since the 90s. Yeah, I mean, the the unicorn has been kind of her life's passion. I mean, she went in a few different directions, off-Broadway production, like you said, the spiritual documentaries. But the unicorn is always her biggest drive. She started a nonprofit, the Unicorn Archive. But yeah, it it just wasn't the time, is what Vakasha always told me back in the 90s or any time before. It just wasn't the time to release what we feel is the true story of the unicorn. Finally does it, and then she dies. It's almost like she fulfilled her purpose, and then she was done. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably the way it went. I believe just generally that when we have fulfilled everything that we're set out to do in this life, 
then yeah, I mean, we, we go. Yeah, I, I agree. Just from working with her on the book of Magical Mythical Unicorns throughout those years, writing it and then editing it, and getting it ready for publication. It was just amazing, her ability, her work ethic to just get this done, you know, in partnership with me, uh, even with all her physical challenges, her medical challenges. I mean, the woman could barely walk by the last uh, couple of years I knew her, and she just did whatever it took. I'm a big basketball fan. I've been watching The Last Dance about Michael Jordan, and she kind of had that same killer instinct that Jordan had, just whatever it takes. It was just such an inspiration. It's like she, she gifted it to you, and she passed away before it was finished? The book had already been written and edited, so we were just in the state of um, our publisher, uh, John Hunt Publishing, you know, getting it ready for release. In terms of our end, we didn't really have anything else to do. The book was complete. Yeah, I guess Vakasha must have felt that her purpose was completed. You know, we channeled this book, and I guess, you know, when, when things are over, it's over. Mandy and I, we base a lot of the things that we talk about on this podcast. If like, if we don't know anything about it, we're like, oh, we're just telling you, we don't know shit, but we're going to be sure. talking about it, but we don't know. Sure, yeah, <laughs> and we, you know, we're all about, I think that this is part of the journey for us that we've learned to live by our experiences instead of just believing everything we've been told, because that's basically what we had done while asleep rather than awakened. So I must ask you, I mean, a unicorn, it's not something that we see today or go to the zoo and check out. So if you could please share with us how you discovered that this was something that you could actually write about and that maybe convince people to have more of an open mind about. One of the quotes that I live by and I learned this from Vakasha, is you cannot deny what you see with your own eyes. I've always been kind of a little bit of a doubting Thomas, even being interested in these kinds of topics. So when Vakasha and I first started work on the book of the Magical Mythical Unicorn, she told me that some people who go to her house are known to have encounters with the unicorn. And I didn't know her very well at the time, so I was like, you know what, she's new and I, I like her, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be a sarcastic little shit here. You know, but so I, I took it with a grain of salt. And lo and behold, about a week to ten days into working with Akasha on this book in her apartment in New York City, I go to bed pretty early, like really early for me. It must have been about ten at night. And I wake up three hours later. It was not lucid dreaming. I didn't hit the uh, bottle of uh, old granddad too hard. I was totally sober and wide awake. I wake up three hours later and I start seeing the unicorn's horn materialize in thin air, spiraled, multicolored. And I told her that for the next day and she's like, yep, are you you still doubtful right now? And I had only had one other supernatural event uh, before that, I've had none since with the unicorn or other. So it's not like I'm seeing these things all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I knew there was definitely, definitely something to it. And when you look at all these different cultures going back 6,000 years to the earliest historical records, earliest civilizations, whether in Sumeria, in Egypt, in uh, the Indus Valley civilizations, in China, they all are talking about something called the unicorn. And mm-hmm. damn it, I mean, there's got to be something to it. I mean, you you know, I could understand if it was just in Britain or just in China. If one right. people are talking about something, you know, okay, maybe, maybe it's just their thing and maybe, you know, there, there's some sort of pride to it or a delusion. But when you have cultures all across the world, especially in Europe, Asia, and Africa, 
same thing with the same, same properties. Thing. A lot of the evidence, you know, it, it's lost to time, but there is some records that we, we've consulted. You know, we have a massive work cited in the back of uh, our book. And um, yeah, there are some uh, sources, you know, uh, to this day that, you know, we relied on and we found a lot of new information just from, I mean, Google's a, a magical thing. I mean, we just found every permutation that you could find. We found a lot of new information that had never been told uh, about oh, wow. cool. ever before. And so, yeah, we, we, we really feel that we captured the entirety of the unicorn story. And, you know, I'm a writer. Bakash is an amazing, well, was an amazing creative. But it wasn't us. Uh, the unicorn was mm -hmm. telling its story through us. It, okay. For whatever reason, we are just the lucky two that it chose. Do you think that people are seeing it physically? Or do you think that it's more like this? Like a clairvoyant experience with the unicorn? Or do you think there actually was a physical unicorn? I think that there uh, is a physical unicorn. But it really? doesn't show up very often. I mean, it's not like, like y'all said earlier, it's not something you can just go to the zoo and see. We found that there's a lot of different historical figures who have seen physically uh, the unicorn. And these are not spiritually enlightened individuals or people who've made it their goal in life to ascend. I mean, hell, Julius Caesar saw a unicorn on a military expedition in Germany. Genghis Khan I mean, no one is going to say this guy is spiritual. I mean, the guy uh, just, you know, ravaged much of Asia, Eastern Europe, and the Middle East. He didn't go to India because he saw the unicorn at the mountains in the Himalayas and Mount Jadanari. And he felt that it was a message from the unicorn saying, do not invade India. And so he didn't. I mean, even big skeptics like, uh, you know, Leibniz, the, the philosopher and mathematician who thought that the unicorn was ludicrous, when he found a unicorn skeleton in his native Germany, he wasn't a skeptic anymore. So there's a lot of historical figures who've seen it. And individuals today can see the unicorn. I mean, you can, if you come with a pure intention, it's possible that the unicorn uh, would reveal itself to you. It's also possible you might just get telepathic messages or uh, other ways of, uh, of it communicating with you. So what across the board were you seeing that was very common about the different myths and legends of the unicorn? I mean, just the fact that um, the unicorn is always treated in a positive way by those who truly understand it, by cultures and individuals that understand the unicorn and its purpose. Talking about spiritual sight, talking about healing, especially as an anti-poison. So whether on the spiritual dimension or even on the temporal with physical healing and things like that, just always beneficial things to humanity and working as a guide. These were cross-cultural. Uh, you know, whether in the uh, Syrian tradition, the Babylonian, Chinese, Indian, um, Egyptian, Sudanese, you know, British, these were all very, very common. And, you know, it's just like anything else. Each culture has their own unique spin on it. Uh, it's almost like a game of telephone. But at the same time, you know, it's still the same creature. You know, there were a few times where when the unicorn was new to a people, they might have misunderstood it. Or, um, you know, there were some political challenges that sought to discredit the unicorn and spread, um, you know, negative information to the people. But, you know, that's stuff that we tried to minimize from the book, unless it was absolutely essential, just because we wanted to tell the unicorn story, not the story of people who may have misunderstood it. The research that you did, I have to say, really impressed me. I mean, we're talking about India, China, East Asia, the Middle East, uh, ancient Greece, Europe, Africa. I mean, it, I was like, holy crap, you researched into the art, 
the poetry. I mean, it, it was fascinating how much you found on the unicorn globally. It was like, wow. I was so impressed by the research. I wanted to say there was one thing that really stuck out to me that I loved in your bio. The book is to display the transformative energy of the creature and its larger effect on humanity's consciousness. Yes. Can you explain what you mean by that? If you look at where we are in 2020, you know, I think, I think you'd have to be really, really optimistic to describe it as anything other than chaotic. If you look at, you know, where we are economically, or, uh, you know, with COVID-19, you know, just devastating, uh, you know, the U.S. And, and much of the world, you know, it, it's a chaotic time. We believe from some of the documents that we found that these kinds of chaotic times that we're in right now, you know, all these things that we're seeing is this kind of disruption is part of a sign that the unicorn is on its way to a full reemergence. Uh, you know, like in the past, it may have come to Genghis Khan or to a certain group of people. But there were also cultures where, you know, even with our painstaking research, we found almost nothing about the unicorn. Like, for example, South America, we only found a few cave drawings in Argentina, three different ones, and nothing else in the entire region about the unicorn. Did you happen to see that it was more around in a certain time period? I'm just curious. That's a great question. It's pretty consistent, really, from about the earliest known human civilization, around 4,000 uh, you know, before the Common Era, to about 1800. The unicorn was very consistent in its presence. And the last 200 years or so, it's kind of retreated from the public eye. You know, there's no stories, as far as I know, in terms of noteworthy figures. You know, there's nothing in the last 200 years. Hey, maybe now your book will encourage people to start talking about, like, yeah, you know what? I think I did. You know, maybe. I mean, there's also a lot of skepticism in our age. You know, it's a very scientific age. Something that Vakash and I always would talk about is, you know, what we call an anti-scientific mindset. Because I, I think, you know, you, got, you can't just automatically believe everything you hear. And even for readers of uh, the Book of the Magical Myth of Unicorn, do the research yourself and try to, you know, make contact with the unicorn. Don't just believe it because I'm saying it. Back to the energy of the creature and its effect on humanity's consciousness. It, it seems mostly positive. I, is that what you discovered as well? Yeah, absolutely. The unicorn is definitely a friend of humanity and will help people. It, it definitely has our best interests in mind. And I think one of the stories that really shows this, you know, right here, you know, I call a schoolhouse earth. And there's many great experiences that I've had that everyone has in life. But there's also a lot of hardship. I mean, who in life hasn't had challenges and things that really wear at your soul? I mean, that's part of the human experience. Now, the unicorn was at a higher dimensional vibration, uh, you know, with the creator and in this Edenic paradise with the first man and the first woman. And the creator gave the unicorn a choice. You know, the creator said, you can either stay here in this higher dimension and enjoy that bliss, or, you know, you can become an interdimensional creature. And when humanity needs you, when, when we need the unicorn, then it could come back down and transfer dimensionally into our reality and help either an individual, a culture, or humanity as a whole. And it made that choice. It didn't have to. The creator gave it a choice. It could have said, you know what, these people are kind of fucked up. I'm cool here, uh, you know, in the dimension with you, creator. We'll let, let them learn from their experiences and maybe they'll come join us eventually in, you know, billions of years. But no, it said, yes, I love you, Maddie, so much that if you need me, 
I can come back into your dimension and help. And it's done just that throughout our, our history. So Mandy had asked her youngest daughter what she thought of unicorns and she thought they were magical and she thought about rainbows. And I just love the innocence of a child. Yes. You know, they're a little less conditioned with a little less ego. Yeah. I also asked my daughter who is a little bit older. She used to love unicorns so much, especially she loved alicorns. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I also contacted our good friend and former guest, Lisa Allison from Scotland. I know that there's a connection between Scotland and unicorns. Wanted to ask where she thought the unicorns originated. And she left us a message. So I'd like to play them both. Please do. I did ask my guides, Shanna, earlier on, and they did say that unicorns are universal. They actually reside in Arcturian, okay? In Arcturius. Uh, that's where they reside because that is an aquatic planet. So where I'm from and where I originate is uh, mermaids, mermen, dolphins, uh, unicorns. All your um, magical elementals actually come from Arcturus because that is the gateway. So if you put that to him, I wonder what you would think about that. It's an energy gateway. That is the tunnel of light, of life and death and birth. And I hope to speak to you soon. I love you, girl. And now I'll play a clip of Kensley's answer, my daughter, my youngest daughter. Sure, give it a go. So Kensley, you know a lot about unicorns, don't you? Yeah, my favorite animal used to be a horse, and then I started to learn about unicorns and then alicorns and pegasus and all of that. Since that, I really liked unicorns. They're really different in a good way, and they're really different from a horse. A unicorn is more unique. Yep, you used to like them a whole lot. You especially yeah. liked them, a special kind of unicorn, though, didn't you? Yeah, I like alicorns. And alicorns have, like, a horn, obviously, and wings. So it's kind of a mix of a unicorn and a pegasus. So, like, if there was two animals that, like, mixed together to make a unicorn, I mean, was it, like, a rhinoceros and a horse? No. No? What what would it be? Uh well, in my opinion, like this is just what I pictured in my mind. Dinosaurs. Maybe that and like a horse. So you think that it might be prehistoric? Yeah. Because I feel like all of the animals that were different, like dragons or dinosaurs or anything like that, I feel like they were all together and I feel like they made each other or something. Oh, okay. But maybe all those animals that we're not so familiar with today were all back then. Yeah, there's a lot of animals that's really similar to animals that are extinct. Okay. So what other animals? So you said dragons, and unicorns, dinosaurs. Maybe aliens. Okay, so you think maybe aliens were back then as well? Yeah, and I also think that there's some animals that we don't really know about. Oh, that we haven't even discovered. Yeah, more animals in the world than we have now. Interesting what Kensley said. I mean, um, I think it kind of coincides with uh, what your guest said as well. You know, there's a lot of creatures. I mean, not just the unicorn, but if you look at, you know, the phoenix, the dragon, you know, even in Islamic tradition in the Quran, uh, the Barak, which was a horse with wings that guided the Prophet Muhammad, uh, you know, to what was essentially the seventh heaven. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of creatures that 
you know, most people at least don't see today. Uh, you know, Bigfoots as well. Aliens, you know, I did see a UFO, but I didn't see any extraterrestrials. So could all of these be from a different planet or from a different time on our planet or both? Absolutely. We know so little about so much. You know, so there's so much discovery. I mean, I hope in our lifetime, not just with the unicorn, but uh, you know, with all these creatures and, and really delve into the truth that we as a species can just keep searching for the truth. That's why, again, like if people know stuff about the unicorn that is just not in our book, or I, I don't think that we have any misrepresentations, but if there are, and you, you think you, you know it, just start a conversation with me. I'm, I'm around. Unicornbook.com, there's a contact form. Yeah. Getting towards, towards this new golden age. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on right now. It's pretty... Yeah. The same way about aliens, like what you said about the unicorns. I mean, you have cultures all over the world from the beginning of time mm -hmm. depicting these writings, these drawings, the stories, and this, this, and that. I mean, there's got to be a lot, some truth into it. There's got to be. I think so. I mean, again, just going back to you, things that you see with your own eyes, you can't deny. Other than the unicorn horn, the only other experience that I could absolutely, without a doubt, say was, you know, outside of the usual five senses, was when I saw a cube-like UFO just over the skies of New York City, it would dim out, fade out into nothingness on a very slow pace and then re-emerge without any movement. I know a lot of people who've seen UFOs, it, it zips around at high speeds. This one didn't. It just stayed stationary and faded out into the clouds and then reemerged almost like a dimmer switch. I don't know if there were ETs in there or anything like that, but yeah, you can't unsee what you see. And whatever skeptic says, you know, it's bunk because there's something to it. I mean, if there's not like actual proof, people just put it into the debunk bag, you know, and it's like in my near-death experiences in life, uh, the society and the world tried to take away my experiences from me by telling me it wasn't true. They almost started to brainwash me into not trusting myself. When I found that self-love and then said, no, I'm not allowing you to take away my experiences because my experiences are worth more than any words that people can tell me to believe. That's when I really opened myself up to the rest of the beautiful world, the spiritual world and the unknown. And when you have a connection to something, you should really pay attention to that. A connection to, for a child to a unicorn. I mean, why dim that light? Let them have those connections and those experiences. I think that we often put it in categories of this is weird or make believe or this is your imagination. You know, and I, I don't want to get too conspiratorial here, but if things like this are happening from society and you know, just really throughout many cultures, maybe even most, you know, today, you know, you got to wonder, there's a reason for everything. So, you know, whether it's the dimming light of the unicorn or any other creature or any, any sort of spiritual or connection to ascension, our world is, um, operates on terms of balance. So for those in the light, there's also a great amount of darkness. And, you know, so things that could help us, not just on the individual, but the collective level ascend, you know, there's going to be some pushback against it. You know, a lot of it just comes from skepticism and investigate yeah. yourself if you're curious. Don't just automatically deny something just because you mm -hmm. haven't experienced it or seen it. A lot of well, see, and that's what I thought is weird is that you said it's been over 200 years. Look back at what's happened over 200 years. 
I mean, yeah. we started to be controlled by many, many powers around the world that have now led to some serious freaking conditions on people that they don't even know to trust themselves or even that they even have a self that they can connect to. This might be a little bit of a controversial viewpoint, but I think technology and really the industrial revolution is one of the worst things ever happened to humanity because um, everything just becomes so automated and, and, you know, we're not machines. We're not robots. Akasha would always tell me like, you got to get rid of your programming because, you know, we're all part of a culture. So we all have part of it, you know, working on the book of magical mythical unicorn with her. I learned a great deal, especially about the unicorn, but also about many other things. But I unlearned more than I learned from her. And I think we all need to unlearn a lot of, what we've been programmed and you know like one of the things that we feature in our book uh you know we kind of just hinted this a little bit but towards that ascension towards your personal growth uh and towards all of our uh, personal growth and ascension a lot of it comes from that unlearning and from getting rid of that program and you know that's a, not an easy task you know when you've been indoctrinated to things as our school system religious institutions businesses governments they're all indoctrinating you towards one view of things so it's hard to go against it i mean it's hard to be that lone voice in the wilderness and another thing shannon and i just recently realized is also the symbolism throughout your life especially when you were young that subconsciously creates the world you live in all the symbolism that you see throughout the streets the tv mm -hmm. necklaces earrings you name it it's creating subconsciously your belief system so it's it's also not only learning to unlearn things but it's also like shanna said yesterday so beautifully it's creating a space within yourself and connecting with your soul to override your subconscious that you've learned yeah i think that's a great way to put this and you know we're, we're all co-creating let's create something better you know let's not go mm -hmm. backwards let's go forward so I wanted to just add really fast, my daughter said, Mom, I used to see unicorns, but I quit seeing them like when I was like two or three years old. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that's weird that she said that. Yeah, wow. <laughs> you know, children, like, like y'all said earlier, children have just such a pure essence to them that they can see a lot of things that, you know, really by the teenage years and definitely into adulthood, we're all programmed. And, you know, even, even the most enlightened of us you know, it's still a constant battle to fight against mm -hmm. that skepticism and indoctrination. So the children don't have that. I mean, they're pure mm -hmm. and it's wonderful, that, that magical, you know, feeling. So I think children definitely see the unicorn more often than adults. And it makes mm -hmm. sense why, just like many other magical and mystical experiences, be more likely to have it than when you're, you know, in your 30s or 40s or, or you know, even mm -hmm. 20s or teens. So, you don't got that ego in there telling you that you're crazy. Uh, yeah, you're crazy. That's not the way things go. That's not how things no, are. You're just all that. about the magic. Yeah, I think it's a better way to live. Absolutely. Last night, I was just inspired to call up and interview a bunch of people about what they thought a unicorn was. So we had really cool conversations about something that normally we would never think about. So your book really inspired it. And I will tell you that when you are even talking about a unicorn it's like your vibration raises because it's just a good thing to feel and talk about it's a happy thing and you're never gonna come across someone that says oh the unicorn symbolizes shitty times or anger you know i mean these never, my never. my young daughter said magic my yes. college said grace he said yep. grace 
in his mind. Yeah. And then, you know, my 80 year old father, he, he had to ponder on it for a minute. He said it made him feel playful and childish and happy in the moment. So what a cool topic. Yeah, it's really cool that you said that because through the course of writing and editing uh, the book of Magical Mythical Unicorn, I basically split time between uh, Baltimore, where I live, and with her in New York City. Sometimes when life just gets a little shitty, uh, I go back to, to New York and the energy, the unicorn energy that permeated her apartment uh, her home, it always brought me back to center. So, you know, whatever, whatever drama was going on in my life or, yeah. or anything like that, it really did have that magic, that grace yeah. and that playfulness, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, and it brought all those things back into me, even when life, you know, scared me slightly off, off center, yeah. or off course, or even, even wildly off course. And it, it's just a wonderful energy. One part of your book that really captured me, you talked about the white feather. Kasha Bredman, she had mobility issues in her later years. For the, all of the five years that I knew her, her friend, a wonderful woman from Germany, this woman named Marion, was taking her in a wheelchair to Central Park in New York City. And on the way there, she saw a large white feather. No birds, nothing of the sort, uh, you know, it matched to. And she saw the unicorn's feather. And to her dying day, she kept it exhibited in her apartment. The unicorn can show itself in many different ways. And a white feather is one of the ways that it can show that you're alerted to its presence. A lot of people talk about a white feather representing like an angel or a guide, especially during hard times or health problems or when someone's getting ready to pass away. So that's, that's really cool. Okay. I loved, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that will love this. I'm not a July birthday. Mm -hmm. The Celts had like an astrological system and they included the unicorn as a zodiac sign. Like, wow, you know how many people out there would be like so thrilled to hear that they have a unicorn sign? Yeah, uh, the ancient Celts had a very close relationship with the unicorn, uh, you know, before, while they were still scattered throughout Europe. Yeah, and they actually had an astrological system, you know, today, you know, people might be Aries or Leo or whatever. The unicorn was part of their unique zodiac system, and they had an entire time period from fairly early into July to early August that was associated with the unicorn. You know, that was just something we found through the research, just to take it in a different direction. Uh, you know, there's nine references in, in the King James Version of the Bible to the unicorn being compared to the Lord and the Lord's power. So, you know, there's a lot of people both within Judeo-Christian faith and outside who use that to discredit uh, scripture. Are there people who, for whatever reason, want to suppress the unicorn and its energy and keep it hidden? Uh, sure, you know. So, yeah. That's interesting that is it just King James Bible? the unicorn only found in that Bible? Yeah, so there's definitely traditions of the unicorn in King James, the King James of the Bible, you know, who had experiences with the unicorn. And uh, one of my favorites, like if you have a dark sense of humor like I do, there was a widespread practice, especially in Europe around the time of King James in the 16th century, 17th century, of people, especially royalty, using part or whole unicorn horns to test food and, and drink to see if it had been poisoned. Around this time, basically, mm-hmm. political rivals and even family members would use poison a lot to get people out of the way. It makes our modern political system look like tiddlywinks. Uh, in comparison, King James actually had one of his servants test what he thought was the unicorn horn in drink, and the servant ended up dead. 
So there was a, actually, unfortunately, a, a lot of fake unicorn horn on the market. It obviously didn't work because it was fake. It didn't have anything, any connection to the unicorn. But yeah, King James had a deep love of the unicorn and trusted it. And I mean, when you're in royalty, you know, there's a lot of people gunning for you for various reasons, especially back in that time. It just shows the power that he had towards the unicorn. There are other Bible versions that also translated as the unicorn, but you know, there's also some that translated in different ways. I mean, I just know that a lot of people certainly put the King James Version of the Bible as the most authoritative version. And I think the thing that they chose the unicorn uh, they're just like the Septuagint, the people who originally translated the scriptures into Greek also use the unicorn. So there's a lot of people who would say that the unicorn is what it actually is. And other translations, at least in this case, are wrong. King James, he was the king of Scotland too. So that must be yes. why there's a connection to Scotland there. And King James also was responsible for reconstructing the Bible and removing many chapters of the Bible. Also, as you were talking about the poison and the unicorns, this is also the time where witches were definitely being pointed out, being accused of poison and whatnot. Yeah, it is definitely an interesting time. Did King James modify uh, scriptures in, in various ways? Yeah, I mean, but this is a tradition that goes way back, even before uh, Christendom was widely accepted, when it's still a yeah. religion. Origen, one of the uh, original Christian scholars, uh, had doctrines of reincarnation. And if you look at, like, the Gnostic uh, scripture, these are not in most people's Bible, King James or otherwise. Uh, you know, so the question is, what gets accepted and what's not? I mean, hell, I if you have the power to decide it, then, you know, your agenda can take precedence over the truth. And that's not just with the unicorn or with the scripture, mm -hmm. but with everything. I mean, think about, you know, the word history, his story. <laughs> you know, in some ways, it's the truth, but, you know, everything is always a matter of perspective. What is the unicorn, though? Because I'm thinking about this. Were they called different things around the world? It's like a hybrid of two different animals. What is your opinion on that? Well, yeah, the unicorn has a lot of different names across the world. You know, for example, in the Middle East, the unicorn is not called the unicorn. It's called the carcadam. In uh, China, it's called the Qilin. Uh, India, it's called the Risha. It's like a hybrid of two different animals. What is your opinion on that? There's a lot of comparisons. Uh, I saw with the rhinoceros, with horses, um, with hippopotamuses, which I, I thought was kind of... Even though, like, it, whether in combination or, or otherwise, the unicorn I saw just generally from the course of researching this book, it was always generally not seen so much as a combination of, of two animals or more animals but it's kind of own separate entity. Most cultures kind of understood it as, as separate. But it's before. a horse, isn't it? I mean, it's a horse, no? It, it, you know, it, it looks most similar to a horse, but that horn, you know, that one horn is, is very distinct. And also like, mm -hmm. just from visual depictions, you know, some people also get are a little curious, like, is there just one unicorn or are there multiple? And there's multiple unicorns. And in different cultures, sometimes they do look a little different from the presentation of it. Uh, you know, in terms of China, to me, and you know, I'm not a, a trained artist, uh, it almost looks a little bit more like a, a, a lion uh, with the, the unicorn tradition. Uh, really? you know, others, others, it looks much more like a horse just with that one horn. And mm -hmm. then others, you know, have a little bit of, of their own unique spin. Yeah, visually, it's a creature that goes interdimensionally. So I don't think like you could confine it to one physical form, you know, especially on the higher dimensions, but because it, it cares for us and knows us, you know, if it looks wildly different from what our expectations were, you know, humanity, unfortunately, 
a lot of us have a fear of the unknown. So if the unicorn chose to present itself in a totally different way, it might have led to more harm just because of fear of something that was outside of expectations or that didn't look similar. I uh, saw a while back about a Siberian unicorn that was actually found and proved that 29,000 years ago yes. um, it was on Earth and it had the horn and it had mm -hmm. the fur, but they found it. And I was like, holy crap, that's huge. Yeah, when, when we found that uh, information, we were stunned because, you know, it, it's one thing if you hear something from a historical record of one particular individual's experience, you know, even with all the numerous examples that we have in our book, yeah, there's certainly human error to, to anything, but, you know, when you see a, a, you know, a reputable source talking about something, especially in our modern and skeptical age, you know, yeah, it, it's a really cool feeling to, to see this kind of documentation. I will say that it's kind of like when you buy a new car and you go out on the road and you see your car everywhere. So since I started reading your book, there's been fucking unicorns everywhere. I yep. <laughs> a little bit of synchronicity, yeah. but also just a little bit of uh, you know more awareness and stuff. And I, yeah. mean, I had the same experience when I first met Vakasha. I started seeing the unicorn everywhere, and I don't recall like even hearing anything about it at all for decades. You know, before uh, I met her and and, and started hearing about this project and then, you know, we agree to work with each other. So, but also just, yeah, the unicorn's time is coming. It's, it's emerging. Can you do your next book on uh, Sasquatch? Are you planning on maybe looking into other ones? I just think it's fun. I'd love to. I mean, I don't exactly know what uh, the future holds in store. I like to let the universe guide me to whatever's right. And it always is, has done just that. I think one of the really interesting traditions that I found from just working with Kakash on this book is a Chinese legend of how the universe was created. And the unicorn was working with the creator, who uh, they call Pangu, with, in tandem, not just with Pangu, the creator, but with the phoenix, uh, with the tortoise, and also with the dragon. So, you know, without the five of them working together, uh, you know, in the Chinese tradition, uh, there would be no universe. They chipped away at the nothingness to create our world. And so, you know, the dragon, I don't know. I mean, yeah, my initial instinct is, you know, it's a fearsome creature, one that I wouldn't want to have an appearance, uh, you know, definitely no. energy than the unicorn. But the Chinese, you know, they, they used the dragon mm -hmm. as, a, as a source of creation. Yeah. Did they just drop the unicorn? It seems very significant. No, in China, actually, uh, the unicorn, or as they call it, the Qi Ling, has been a Qi huge Ling. part of their, of their culture, actually. Sure, it definitely has a more unique uh, depiction. Like, I think probably through the course of writing this, more than any other culture, the Keelin, the Chinese unicorn, looks a little bit different. So a lot of people, I mean, hell, if I saw it at first before knowing all the research and all this, I might not have thought it was a unicorn. But yeah, it, it is. Where can our listeners find your book? Uh, everyone can find it on Amazon. Um, just type in the book of the magical mythical unicorn. Amazon.com, uh, Walmart.com. Just go to your preferred uh, place and you can pick up a copy. Our original release date was supposed to be August 28th. I think it might have been pushed back because of COVID to October 1st. So, but you can pre-order it today. So definitely uh, pick up a copy. Really appreciate all of your time today. It's a lot of fun. Thank you for the book, for doing that, and your co-author. It was such a pleasure to read about something that I never would have chose to look into so thank mm -hmm. you for that absolutely yeah, yeah. good luck on your book really. launch
Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, again, this is a lot of fun. Had a wonderful time here. Thank you. What about Bigfoot? Would Bigfoot be back then as well? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah, I mean, I don't want him being left out. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for being with us today. We hope you will come back next week. If you like what you hear, don't forget to rate, like, and subscribe. Thank you. We rise to lift you up. Thanks for listening.